Brought to you by Fratelloni's Ace Hardware Stores. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. I love when we hear from our uh, philosopher in Sofia, Bulgaria, Dave Bliss. Yes. Who writes on Monday's podcast, that would be Monday, November 12. You quoted Jerry Brown claiming that climate change deniers are responsible in part for the terrible wildfires in California. I found this interesting. I find it highly unlikely that climate change deniers are actually starting the fires or adding fuel to them. Rather, it seems that Mr. Brown was stating that the lack of a belief of certain individuals was causing the fires to be worse. Lack of belief being given as the cause for natural disasters seems to be a growing one among environmentalists. Just a few months ago, President Trump's lack of belief in man-made climate change was blamed for a hurricane hitting the East Coast. A climate change denier may be a conservationist and yet not believe in climate change. He may be recycling, saving electricity, and overall doing his part according to what a climate change believer might desire. However, merely because he does not believe, he is blamed for contributing to the fires and hurricanes of the world. When a lack of belief in a concept is blamed for bad things happening, we have stepped away from the realm of science and into the realm of religion. Pharaoh did not believe Moses, and ten plagues fell on Egypt. Shamans and witch doctors have long tried to control the weather with talismans and special dances, if only we believe. A few radical Muslim leaders blamed the 04 tsunami on the Christian celebration of Christmas. Lack of belief has a long tradition of being blamed for natural disasters. Religions also have special people who are given exemptions to the rules. In the ancient Jewish temple, no one was allowed to enter the most holy place except the high priest. In Eastern Orthodoxy, only the priests are allowed to say certain prayers or perform certain rituals. It is wrong for anyone else to do so. In a similar fashion, it is wrong for us normal people to burn too much energy. But the high priests of climate change can keep the lights blazing all night long in their mansions. They can charter private jets to fly to climate change conventions. They can water their lawns during a drought. They can be wasteful because the rules do not apply to them. They are a different class of people. With this in mind, I submit to you that the environmentalism is not a scientific theory. It is a religion complete with priests, apostles, and wrathful judgment for those who do not believe. Respectfully submitted, Dave Bliss, Sophia, Bulgaria. Well, well put together. Isn't that something? Yes. Closer to home? Yeah. Yeah, because Bulgaria is pretty far. Just a minute, what's this? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Steve Mulholland writes, Joe, I'm a loyal GL, GL podcast listener since 2011 and enjoyed your discussion on yesterday's podcast, meaning November 12, with regard to the responsibility of property owners to keep their sidewalks clean of snow and ice. As someone who, like you, walks every day in all four seasons, and as someone who, like you, exercises responsible and timely space management, 
I found this recent article in the Star Tribune to be of great relevance. And he links me to it. It's about how the city wants to take over sidewalk shoveling. In short, the city of Minneapolis is considering taking over the clearing of all sidewalks in residential and commercial districts. I am not, I'm not sure which side I land on in this issue. Like any GLer, I take pride in clearing my walk down to the pavement and rejoice in the simple but rare pleasure of having a virgin snow driveway to clear. Why should I have to pay the city to do it for me? But as a walker, I am annoyed by those here in the Liberal Lakes who don't live up to their neighborly and civic responsibilities. And if the city is going to take care of Betsy's bike lanes on the taxpayer's dime, why not take care of the people who walk every day? You know, how about a little something for the effort? <laughs> of course, this will be yet another tax in a city that is becoming more and more expensive to live. I'm torn on this one, Joe. Did the folks in the salon have something here? Where do your sensibilities lie? Good luck and all the best. Loyal, loyal listener in the belly of the beast, Liberal Lakes area of Minneapolis, Steve Mulholland. P.S. Regarding letting podcast listeners know what day it is, I'm in agreement with the listener who recently said, we got this, Joe. They can figure that out. <laughs> ah. uh, he wants to know uh, where my sensibilities lie. Uh, my sensibilities lie in not expanding the role of the government in shoveling sidewalks. Got a tough enough time cleaning the street or uh, plowing the streets, picking up garbage. By the way, yep. I have not seen a single salt or sand truck in St. Paul. Um, I would agree. Well, you live there, but I drove in to pick up a child, and immediately when I hit the um, side streets, side streets, it was uh, they ice. were full of ice. There's been no effort to uh, mitigate that. What are we spending the money on? The money is spent. They Inviting, bought their salt for the year. We're, in, we're having transvestite shows at the libraries. Huh? Is that after you've uh, you've been forgiven of all of your uh, fines for having an overdue book that you've kept for six years mm -hmm. that somebody else could not use? Mm -hmm. So as a result, the library bought another book. 2,440,000 injured and 35,092 dead. Those are the National Safety Council injury facts from our nation's highways in 2015 as a result of vehicle crashes. Federated Insurance reminds you, these are more than statistics. This is family, friends, and neighbors. Distracted driving is an epidemic, but it's not the only factor in vehicle crashes. How about fatigue? You drive when you're sleepy and find it too hard to keep your eyes open? Then pull over. Go for a walk. Have you ever been unable to recall changing lanes? Do you stay up late nights? and drive to work tired, you've got to change those habits. A National Sleep Foundation poll revealed that 60% of adult drivers say they have driven a vehicle while feeling drowsy, and more than a third of those same drivers admitted to actually falling asleep at the wheel. Don't become a statistic. Get yourself some sleep before you get behind the wheel. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Please make it home safely today. Hey, my pillow inventor and founder, Mike Lindell, has come up with another great product designed to help you get better sleep, the MyPillow Mattress Topper. Three unique layers designed to provide superior support, distribute your body weight for ultimate comfort, and regulate your body temperature to keep you comfortable. has a zippered, removable cover that's washable and dryable. And look at here's the best part. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on a new mattress. These babies renew your mattress. They have a 10-year warranty. 
a 60-day money-back guarantee, and come in seven sizes from twin to Cal King. And Mike is extending a great offer to GL Podcast listeners now through December 31st. You can save 30% on any MyPillow mattress topper and get two MyPillow standard pillows when you enter the promotional code GL at checkout. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the mattress topper button on the homepage, and enter the promotional code GL at checkout. Nice. Say, do you want it from a NASA scientist or me? Uh, although I trust you and your instinct uh, of information, but uh, what does the scientist say, the NASA guy? The sun is entering one of the deepest solar minima of the space age, wrote Dr. Tony Phillips of NASA just six weeks ago. Sunspots have been absent for most of 2018, and the Earth's upper atmosphere is responding, said Phillips, editor of spaceweather.com. Data from NASA's timed satellite show that the thermosphere— the uppermost layer of air around our planet is cooling and shrinking, literally decreasing the radius of the atmosphere. To help track the latest developments, Martin Milnchak of NASA's Langley Research Center and his colleagues recently introduced the Thermosphere Climate Index. The Thermosphere Climate Index tells how much heat nitric oxide molecules are dumping into space during Solar maximum thermosphere climate index is high, meaning hot. During solar minimum, it's low, meaning cold. Right now, it is very low indeed, 10 times smaller than we see during more active phases of the solar cycle, said Milchak. Great. It's getting colder. Uh, don't we like it? What have I always told you? You can handle global warming. You want to worry about something you can't do anything about? Worry about global cooling. Yeah. If current trends continue, it could soon set a space-age record for cold, says Milchak. We're not there quite yet, but it could happen in a matter of months. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. But I'm reading the comments on the story, and they're quite interesting. Uh, the tweet, the tweeter, the social justice people? Yeah. Adam writes, Dr. Milchak has broken the unspoken rule that no one can depart from the uh, professional disaster. He will soon be flipping burgers at McDonald's. Uh, why the hell do we pay for NASA? We knew this years ago. Now they finally come forward. I worked in that sector and respected them at one time, but they are worthless now. Okay. Uh, NOAA handles weather. NASA handles the sun and planets. Okay. NOAA also handles uh, Santa's travels on Christmas Eve. Do they? Yep. I track them. The truth is coming out. Worse than global warming for sure. Sunspots have been absent for most of 2018, and the Earth's upper atmosphere is responding. It's all Trump's fault. <laughs> Speaking of sunspots, I remember when we used to carry Rush Limbaugh on the big AM 1500, mm -hmm. and when the sunspots would occasionally take him out for 30 seconds, people would call in and you are, a, it's a conspiracy. You are the most left radio station of all time. This professor is going to get hell for speaking the truth. Yeah, but see, better him than me. He's a scientist. Right. You ain't got no street creds. You didn't go to school for that. And the, and the, uh, the theologians who believe that uh, man is controlling nature, uh, they believe deeply in scientists. Well, except when it comes to gender, for example. That's, right. That doesn't mean right. That. So explain how the sunspots affect the radio signal. That's I have a, no idea. Uh, when they would they would uh, interfere, I don't know how magnetically, 
but the signal that would be sent out via the satellite mm-hmm. would uh, it would just uh, fuzz out to nothing. Huh. And it would be 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and I remember people calling, you guys suck, you're the worst. And we're like, we're not like. Were you we, like something? Actually, we're saying, <laughs> well, we have a, a, a full lineup of conservative hosts, and you get that. We're sorry about that 30 seconds, but they were, damn, were they mad. Because mm-hmm. I remember I'd be running the board. Remember when Pat and I had Rush on? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, sometimes you and Pat would you screw things up. Well, <laughs> what happened there, by the I way? I think KSTP was a charter they were. station to host Rush's show. Mm-hmm. And so he's in town. He used to do his speaking tours. Right. And management said, would you guys please have Rush on? To promote an event. To, to promote his event. We sure. said, of course. And it was during a Saturday sports talk. Oh, God. And Royce kept saying, Rush, you got a hell of a bit going here. <laughs> was he in studio or via the telephone? No, he's in studio. Oh, God. And Rush turned red and said, this is not a bit. Yes, I have here my formerly nicotine stained fingers. This is a real deal. This is a real deal. <laughs> ah, it's a bit, you, Rush. You got a hell of a bit going. You had met him previously when he was working for Kansas City, correct? Uh, I did not, know. I saw Pat didn't him. Well, he was Pat a, might have known him of Rush work for the Royals. Yeah, right. In what, some PR capacity right. or something? And uh, I'm sure that he, uh, you know, in, in meeting him the two or three times that I that I did, uh, one of the biggest disappointments for me was what he smoked in that studio. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, that really, it irks me. To, well, to honor a, a, a family that, not that you have to honor, but to just follow the rules. All right, he came into town once for one of his speeches, and he needed a place to do his show. And he did it from exactly where I'm sitting right now mm-hmm. in this studio. Because you guys carried him at the time, right? Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, we work for a guy who is vehemently an anti-tobacco guy. Right. And there's no smoking in this building and the, the whole thing. Prior to it being outlawed everywhere right, else. Right, right. Uh, the chairman doesn't like smoking. And uh, Rush was made aware of this. And he just smoked cigar after cigar after cigar. Yeah, I didn't like that. Why wouldn't you accommodate your host? Uh, uh, I, that's really, I just thought it was a Bush League thing to do. And then we had to do our show after he left. I, I damn near died in here. And I love cigar smoke. Right. You couldn't even, I couldn't even see right. through it the was, window. And it was for a while, too, that it was like that. <laughs> I couldn't even see you. Right. That wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a complaint, but, and then I remember the time that. Uh, that wasn't a complaint. That you couldn't see me. No, you, that you didn't were bother happy me. That, that didn't bother me. I did recall the time the late great Vince Flynn uh, checked in from uh, Rush's mm-hmm. his house or something mm-hmm. like that. And he was he was pretty impressed by that, that. But nobody could drop a name better than Vince Flynn. That's whether true. it's Rush or the King of Jordan. Right. Nobody could drop a name with less acrimony than Vince Flynn. They sent him a text. Hey, Vince, about something. I'm sitting here with the King of Jordan. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, give me five minutes, will you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did he did he come to town for the Vince thing? At yes, Thomas? he did, which was very good of him. Yeah, yeah, he did, and he was nice. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I don't dislike the well, guy. And that night, he was by most standards, he was humble. Yes. Yeah. Well, don't you kind of have to be given the? Well, good for him. He yeah. was. He he did a nice thing. He did a nice thing. He did, and he he, he you know he's so big. He did not have to do that, but it was. Uh, and backstage, I was hanging out, and he he wasn't he wasn't grandstanding. No, he was chatting with everybody, waiting his turn to go out and say his piece for the great Vince. 
He was cool. I remember when I met him at this when we were here at the studio that that day, and I uh, was talking to him, and I immediately just started to to mention something. Yes, do you have a name, son? <laughs> I was like, okay, Rush. I know you don't care who I am, but it's but uh, yeah, he was real nice at the Vince Flynn deal. Well, I didn't want to, but we have to. No, we have to. We do. The minute we come back, we have to visit the Destroyed Academy. At a Massachusetts college, referred to Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning. This is by way of a chief offsite correspondent, course, uh, uh, Kelsey, alerted me to this. Day of mourning? The McQuaid Library at Merrimack College in North Andover, Mass., took to Facebook to promote an article called Decolonizing Thanksgiving, a toolkit for combating racism in schools. Because let's turn Thanksgiving into something terribly vile. <sighs> Perpetrated by evil white oh, people right. that wore funny pilgrim hats. Mm-hmm. The toolkit, created by St. Mary's University professor Lindsay Passenger Week from Diversityville, urges an approach that decolonizes and de-romanticizes Thanksgiving. Because you don't want to be grateful or thankful or no, right. take a break. You gotta. It should be, uh, you know, wearing a hair suit and yes. whipping ourselves for the nerve we've had to the nerve of us. live here. Mm-hmm. Here are some wonderful resources for teaching children about Thanksgiving, Merrimack said, posting Week's article. This is great for educators and parents. Stereotypical and racist portrayals of Native peoples fills U.S. elementary schools each November as students encounter historically inaccurate portrayals of Native peoples in arts and crafts, books, and lessons about a shared Thanksgiving meal and songs and plays with handcrafted headdresses and vests, Week argues in the article linked by the Facebook post. But these activities are problematic because they depict Native peoples in an his, in an ahistorical way and perpetrate myths about colonial encounters. We should just never—the boat should never have gotten here. Right. And so this fruitcake wouldn't even exist. <laughs> The article provides readers with nearly 30 links to letter templates that they can send to their children's schools about inappropriate Thanksgiving activities, as well as the names as well as the names of books teachers can use to decolonize the holiday. One such parent-to-teacher letter addresses parental concern for Native American teepee art activities and others. Activities and another opposes participation in the choosing of an Indian name or the creation of Indian-style crafts during the month of November. Well, I've put all my children all through school, and I'm, uh, none of them have ever taken an Indian name for any reason. Uh, same here. Uh, the toolkit includes a link to a 2016 blog post called 10 Ways to Make Your Thanksgiving About Social and Environmental Justice by Franklin and Marshall College Assistant Professor of Environmental Studies, Eve Brotman. The Academy is destroyed. I want to make this Thanksgiving more deeply anti-racist, ecologically rooted, and anti-imperialist, the professor asserts. Repeating the holiday with no acknowledgement of the intolerance in its history feels delusional at best, if not actively perpetuating oppression. Week's post also includes an article called Teaching Intolerance, Teaching Thanksgiving in a Socially Responsible Way by Amanda Morris, 
who teaches Native American indigenous rhetorics at Kutztown University of Pennsylvania. Morris's resources help educators disrupt the hegemonic Thanksgiving story, as well as an explanation of how these depictions of Native Americans are harmful. Week says her toolkit also provides educators with access to a number of study guides and lesson plans that discuss Thanksgiving through an anti-racist and racial justice lens. Because that's what I always think of around the Thanksgiving table, right. is let's everybody be as racist as possible. That's the theme of our, usually that's the theme of our family Thanksgiving. Isn't it yours too? It's fun table talk. Oh, yeah, it's fun. Sure it is. It's fun to you be racist. You go next, Dad. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Okay, my turn. Yeah. I came across a guy in a <laughs> yeah. Walmart parking lot, cut, and I let him have it. You have to cut Grandpa off every once Damn, in a while. Damn, he wasn't a... Pass the stuffing. <laughs> yeah. Right. By the way, where's the cranberry? Pass the damn ham. I don't like ham. Are we getting stuffing this year? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. That's going to happen. Okay. These resources are found within a racial justice guide to Thanksgiving for educators and families, a document compiled for the Center for Racial Justice and Education. The post in no way represents the ethos of faith, family, and freedom for which the college stands, nor our genuine appreciation for this most American of holidays. Merrimack Associate Vice President of Communications and Marketing, Jim Chiavale, told Campus Reform, referring to a version of the above Facebook post that was also posted on Twitter. National Day of Mourning is absolutely not a hashtag or mentality the college endorses, Chiavale said indicating that the Twitter post was an inappropriate use of the account by a student worker and he had it deleted. Chiavalli told Campus Reform that he would look into the Facebook post. The school ended up merely deleting the hashtag National Day of Mourning from its Facebook post, still linking Week's article. Let me go back to the beginning. Who's Week? The toolkit created by St. Mary's University professor Lindsay Passenger Week urges an approach that decolonizes and deromanticizes Thanksgiving. I can link this to these kids at Baraboo. You can link uh, calling— Who are the Mysterians after? In, in which case? I have a question that I mean with respect. Okay. I don't mean it to be— uh, insightful of anything. It's something I've thought about occasionally on the Garage Logic Service Road of Life. What would the the mass of land, mass of M A S S, and then separate word of, not M A S S I V E. What would the mass of land that now is the United States? What would it be like today if no one from Europe or any other country or continent ever came here. Tribes. I'm not. Very it, this, this is not intended to yeah. be demeaning in any way. It's a very rhetorical question. What if no one ever came here from any other continent or any other world or or country? Wouldn't that have been difficult, though? I mean, what do you mean? At some point, I'm being fanciful. I would say that you would have green pastures. The buffalo would be roaming. The Native Americans were quite happy. Living where they well would would the airplane have been invented? I, and again, I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I love my Native American brothers and sisters. What I'm saying is, mm. what would it be like here? Would there be a telephone? Would there be appliances? Would there be the automobile? Okay, well, you, you okay. would there be heat and air conditioning? I don't know. Maybe there would. You're be. raising a good question because. 
at the time, uh, whether it was Christopher Columbus or the Mayflower came over in 1620, how, well, it was an industrialized nation across the big pond, uh, be it very primitive. But without exposure to the Enlightenment or any compelling reason to be inventive, entrepreneurial, capitalistic, competitive, uh, I wonder I wonder what this mass of land that we call the United States, I wonder what it would be like. Maybe it would be bucolic. Maybe it would be heaven. Maybe it would be paradise. Well, remember, you still also had native tribes that were at war with each other, so it wasn't all peaches and cream. You know, there were— Thanks, there were, Ricky. Yeah. Well, that that's just an AI. that's just an aside. It's just an aside. Hmm. Sometimes my mind wanders on the garage logic service road of life, and I just wonder what wonder what it'd be like. Because it would have been occupied, though. Because Rook, in your eye, you're seeing acres. You're seeing Montana across the he entire dances country. Dances with wolves. Yes, that's what you're seeing. But not the bad. We guys. still would have had population growth, regardless of who occupied this territory. You follow me on that? I do, but that's not what I'm driving at. He's wondering if if uh, a, a Trumper way back when would have built a wall around the United States and nobody <laughs> would have gotten in, where would we be now? Hmm. I think it would be pristine. Not saying that the Native people could not have become more complex, no, let's say, but they needed those outside influences no, to become. No, let's say, in this given modern life this this could not have happened but let's say the united states this mass of land mm-hmm. that is now the united states uh remained as invisible to the rest of the world as are the tribes that occasionally are discovered in the deepest jungles of brazil or new guinea who have never had contact with anyone else and you see the kind of primitive life they're li- leaving li- li- uh, living i wonder if that's what you discover Throwing a couple Nike shirts and some tennis shoes for the Imbagu tribe. You know, well, those well, always make their way down there. But Well, it, let's get back to the subject at hand, which is uh, the Mysterians are now uh, have their sights set on destroying Thanksgiving. Because to the Mysterians, it represents patriarchy and oppression and uh, imperialism and... Wow, and it, this it, is unfair, and we shouldn't be here. And uh, but all of these academics in the failed academy writing this—that's why you're here, you fools. You 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 were fortunate enough to be born here. That's that's how you got here, you fool. And there's irony because Thanksgiving was the coming together of the Native well, Americans but but the Mysterians even want to destroy that. The Mysterians want to say that's a false narrative. That that apparently that the Mysterians would have you believe that uh, the early arrivees uh, uh, to this country did not break bread with our, the Native Americans, that they were, uh, they were uh, pillaging from the get-go and, uh, 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 and, and didn't teach them how to plant. They forced them that they to— were, They were, by, by definition yeah. of their existence, they were racist. Uh, and, and so you've got all these professors from failed institutions— Weighing in on this now, they really find a comfortable home in the failed academy. The Mysterians really find a comfortable home in the failed academy. And you note this. Let me get back to the end of this story. Uh, So you've got... 
Remind me to remind you of something. I don't want to sidetrack you right now, but Merrimack. Uh, Associate Vice President of Communications and Marketing, Jim Chiavelli. See, in these failed academy stories, you always get somebody from the failed academy who said, well, what that professor said doesn't really represent uh, the school, but of course, uh, they're tenured and they work here, and, right. and uh, but we right. disavow their contentions. And so you got this guy, Jim Chiavelli from Merrimack, saying... Uh, uh, hashtag National Day of Mourning is absolutely not a hashtag or mentality the college endorses. Okay, Chiavelli, that's fine, uh, but you got you got these uh, crackpots who work for you who uh, who managed to get the word out. What do you want to remind me of? Well, I I, I don't want to sidetrack you, so I, I want this to be toward the end. It has to do with the early arrivals. Something I learned last night. The early arrivals to what is now the United States uh, to Plymouth Rock, the okay. Mayflower. All right. Uh, I'm ready to hear. We had been doing some tracing of my wife's lineage, All right. Native American lineage up on the White Earth Reservation, and um, who her ancestors were. So two cool things. The earliest arrival uh, of one of her relatives was 1633, mm-hmm. and it's documented. Mm-hmm. And also, we learned this, that Charles W. Fairbanks— which is a distant relative of my wife, was the 26th president of the United States under Teddy Roosevelt. So Fairbanks, just, Alaska, just, just, just a is named after Just a him. minute. The 26th president of the United States? 26th vice president. Oh. Vice president of the United States. Shouldn't you be getting some money out of this somehow? Yeah. You're uh, related to a former vice president of the United States? Yes. Where's your taste? Well, I know. he's not. His wife is. Well, where's the wife's check? Let's go here. And somewhere out east is the Fairbanks House, the oldest wooden structure in the United States. She's Named locked. after my wife's relative. So the, the Fairbanks got together with some of the white earth people, the Ojibwes. Apparently. And they, they made families, and we, we went over this. Those whole imperialist like bastards. Yes. Well, it worked out for them. They were, so when you guys you know. were sitting down as a family and making all these discoveries, did she then glance at you going, uh, uh, your, your family stopped in Winona. <laughs> yeah. How's that working out? <laughs> Yeah, you guys all stopped at Winona there. Good luck to you. He made a chair box. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm going to have to do a little more um Well, I'm looking forward to it now more than ever uh, uh, for a very racist and hateful Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, and those yeah. are the See, best kind. Does, uh, you know, when you go after someone. Yeah. So when right we, for it, you eat the mashed potatoes. And when, when we do the Thanksgiving, the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, sure. that's also filled then, obviously, with, with hate and racism. Oh, of course it is. Get them out of here. Of course it is. Look at that big inflatable turkey. Right. Those racist floats and it's mm-hmm. just terrible. Mm-hmm. It's just terrible. We have no right to it. The boat should never have stopped here. Which is why I think my question is somewhat valid. What do these people in the failed academy think would have happened to the mass of land that is now the United States and it was filled and it would be full of of of, of Native Americans, uh, flourishing. Would it be in flourishing in the sense that we would think of flourishing, or flourishing in a completely different? More pastoral way, maybe a, a more uh, agricultural way. Yeah, I think I think they'd be happy. And you know what? There'd be no hurricanes. No, because we there'd be have. no forest fires because right. no, right. they that never happened. Right. There'd be no tornadoes. Mm-hmm. There'd be no snowstorms because that never happened till till the boats landed at Plymouth Rock. Right. The chain. Well, it threw the it threw nature off. You know, once yeah. we started industrial, it just kind of yeah. nature went. You know, something's not right here. There'd be no trains burning coal. 
What else wouldn't there be? There'd be no, there'd be you would you would find. I think everything would be terribly green. Yep. Uh, animals would be plentiful. There'd be no illness. No. Because that life expectancy might be twenty two, right? But, uh, right. You know. Twenty two would be yeah. uh, you're checking out early. I don't know. But anyway, let's all have a very racist, hateful, spiteful Thanksgiving where absolutely no celebratory nature of any kind could be introduced to the table. Uh, it should be just spiteful and uh, self-admonishing uh, that we shouldn't be here and that we should all have our toolkits yep. to teach the kids uh, that they're the spawn of hateful, racist imperialists. I mean, that's going to change the peanut special for Thanksgiving. I think so. Gonna, <laughs> I think so. Nobody's going to have to have I think a it should. Bit, I think it should. Wah, 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 wah. Racist. Racist. Wah, 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 imperialist. Yes. Where's my toolkit? Are we going to survive? Will the center hold? Nope. All right. You heard it here first. It ain't holding. Happy bleeping Thanksgiving. GarageLogic.com. Rate us on Apple iTunes. Check us out. We're in news and politics. And uh, I want to make sure that you visit the website. If you're new to the Garage Logic podcast, garagelogic.com. Check out Greg Holcomb's wonderful offerings via the comics, GL Comics. It's on the features uh, button. Click down and also see what's on Joe's bookshelf in Author's Corner. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. The next click, you can find out a wonderful more Garage Logic online at garagelogic.com. If it's your first podcast, go back and listen to some of the archives. Thanks for listening.